right after I graduated college, with the help of my parents, I was able to purchase a new vehicle, an SUV, a Mitsubishi Montero. Do they still make those? I don't know. I loved it. Favorite car I've ever owned, a beautiful black sports utility vehicle, new or almost new. Um, what a cool, cool vehicle. I love that thing. Four-wheel drive, all that stuff. And uh, the only scare I got, or the big scare I got early on, about it, having it about a year, one day it appeared that it was having major mechanical problems. Every time I would get, I just noticed this, driving down the street, once I'd get to about 30, the car would start to shake, okay? And the faster I would get going, 45, 50, and I didn't dare go beyond that, the shake got rather violent. I mean, the fillings are coming loose. I mean, it, is, it, was, a, it was an experience. It was like being in a, a mobile earthquake riding in that car. Well, I didn't put up with that very long. I was like, I don't have money, I don't have time. By the way, when your car breaks down, you never have money and you never have time. There's never a right time, right? Um, and I don't have car insurance. I don't know that, I mean, you have car insurance if you get in a wreck, but if you have a problem like that, you got to pay for it, right? So I'm on my way to the mechanic, and the thing's kind of nasty, so I'm like, I'm just going to stop at the car wash, one of those old-fashioned with those really cool high-pressure cannons. I love those things. I'm going to spray this bad boy off, get it cleaned off. So I'm working, walking around the car, getting her all sprayed off. And right as I'm about to finish, you know, you finish up with the wheels down at the bottom. And, and so I'm there getting the wheels all clean and everything and the tires. And I noticed in the front driver's side wheel, there's a clump of mud. Didn't think much about it. Just put the nozzle in there, sprayed it out. But when I get back on the road, it's not shaking anymore. It's like, voila, problem solved. And I can't even, I mean, you all can probably understand just how happy I was because you've probably had a moment like that when you're like, how am I going to do without my car? How am I going to pay for the repair? It's all of a sudden good. And, and I'm not the sharpest you know, knife in the drawer, so it took me a few minutes to figure out, wait a second. It was that lump of mud that was stuck in that wheel that was throwing the car off balance. And it made me think, isn't balance a fascinating thing? Really? I mean, like, probably not even a pound of mud, of dirt, stuck in that wheel is throwing a 4,200-pound vehicle totally off balance. And how important balance is in life as well. I mean, we know when we're out of balance. We know what that sensation feels like. In 2 Timothy 3, Paul is going to talk about what an out-of-balance life looks like. And i got to tell you, as I am working through this text this week, it just struck me. I don't know that there is a more relevant or contemporary text in the entire Bible, like talking about the year 2017, than this text. So here we go. Expectations are high for this text, I know, but you'll see what I'm talking about. Paul writes this. You can be certain that in the last days there will be some very hard times. People will love only themselves 
and money. People will love only themselves and money. They will be proud, stuck up, rude, disobedient to their parents. They will also be ungrateful, godless, heartless, hateful. Their words will be, I thought about Twitter when I was reading this next part. Their words will be cruel. They will have no self-control or pity. Those people will hate everything that is good. They will be sneaky, reckless, and puffed up with pride. Instead of, instead of loving God, they will love pleasure. Now, Verse 5, even though they make a show of being religious, their religion won't be real. Don't have anything to do with such people. Some men fool whole families. And you can tell he's talking about specific people that he knows in that church in Ephesus where Timothy is working. Okay? Some men fool whole families just to get power over those women who are slaves of sin and controlled by all sorts of desires. These women always want to learn something new, but they never can discover the truth. Always want to learn something new, but they never quite can discover the truth. A portrait of a life out of equilibrium. Um, okay. I want us to work with this image today because I think it really captures who we are. We are, you, me, everybody, is composed of three very important spheres, very important dimensions. You are a three-dimensional person. We all are. I want to give Bob Chisholm help as we talk through this the last couple of weeks. Very helpful uh, thoughts he gave me. So you are a three-dimensional person. You have a soul. You have a soul. This is that moral, ethical core of who you are. This is where your conscience, everyone has one, this innate sense of right and wrong. This is where your idea uh, of justice comes from, right? Uh, this is also um, the place where religion comes into, like faith, issues of faith, you, where faith exists. Um, so you have this soul, your moral, ethical core. You have a mind as well, uh, the center of knowledge, the place where logic and reason are taking place, very powerful tools to help you manage in this world, um, thinking, obviously, as well as the place where you have your emotions, right? And finally, no surprise, you have a body, right? You have a body, you know that, uh, where the five senses operates, um, the place where Hungers and thirsts are at play driving you and steering you to make sure that your needs are met. Uh, this is the center of pleasure and pain for you. Um, so back to this idea. These three dimensions, these three arenas that make you up. Everything that is you is in one of these three spheres, right? Now, back to this idea of balance or equilibrium. What can happen... And what does happen is that sometimes, or a lot of the time, we can get out of equilibrium 
For example, we're going to work through a couple of what happens if. What happens if the body predominates? What happens if your physical side takes the lead role in decision-making and governance in your life? Um, Look, first off, let's just say this. Your body is good, right? God invented the body. He was the architect of the human body. The Bible affirms the goodness of your body. The trouble is when your body gets into the driver's seat of your life. It's when your physical nature takes charge and is running the show. Now, what effect does this have? Because the other dimensions are still there, even if the body is running things. So what happens to your soul if the body is predominant? Isaiah 5.20 gives us a good snapshot. What happens to the soul? He describes these people. What sorrow for those who say (laughs) evil is good, and good is evil, And dark is light, and light is dark. I mean, when the body is allowed to dominate, then the moral compass is completely, completely haywire. Um, Evil is good. Good is evil. Light, dark. Dark, light. This is a very confused moral compass, right? That's what happens when the body predominates, all right? Now, the mind, the mind, how is it affected when the body is that dominant or leading force in your life? Um, Jeremiah 5, verse 21, hear this, you foolish and senseless people who have eyes but do not see and have ears but do not hear. The mind is there, appears to be in perfect working order, but there is zero traction there that the mind has in your life. The wheels are just kind of spinning. And so Paul says this person, they may be intellectually brilliant, but because the body is the predominant force, they are senseless, they are foolish. And the body, well... Wouldn't the body thrive if the body is in charge? You know better than that. Of course not. The body is in serious trouble when the body is in charge. Philippians chapter 3, verse 19. We read this last week describing these folks where the body is in charge, their destiny is what? It's destruction. Their God is their stomach and their glory is... It's in their shame. That's what happens to the body when the body is the predominant force. Um, The body doesn't even thrive when the body is in charge. The end is destruction when the body is running the show, right? I mean, Paul, really, Paul is not revealing anything all that shocking here. When the body is in control, when those hungers and thirsts are driving me, Then, unchecked eating, compulsive eating even, perhaps. Sexual desire, sexual pursuit, unchecked, unrestrained, ungoverned. 
compulsive gratification of appetites. And I would say generally, when the body's in control, there at some point begins a rapid spiral of decline into addiction and into dependency. Right? That's when the physical side is dominant. It's a state of chaos. Right? It's a state of chaos. Well, what about, think about this one. So, second thing here. Think about the mind. What if the mind is in control? That would seem like a good alternative compared to the total chaos we see with the body. So here the mind is dominant. It's the stronger force in my life. I would say not so fast if you think it's a good idea for the mind to be the dominant force in life because what you really get is a state of compromise. The mind, your intellectual capacity, is morally neutral, right? It is a very powerful and good tool, but it can be used for good or ill, right? Um, Just as the body is good, but not when it is in charge, the mind is good, but not when it is in charge. The mind, the thinking, the reasoning, the knowledge center, when it overpowers the soul, there will be a state of moral compromise. And when it's given the lead role, it can lead to some really dark places. Um, Look, it is, thank God, it is powerful, it is strong, a great tool that he has given us. It can solve problems. Um, It can create vaccines. It can design uh, technologies that really help us. It can also help you figure out how to rob a bank. How to hack a website. Uh, How to uh, invent a weapon of mass destruction. I mean, the list is is really infinite there of bad things the mind can help you do. It's powerful enough to do some really bad things uh, when it's in charge. Back to balance. Now, the obvious answer, okay, equilibrium, balance. Okay, it must be all three of those spheres being equal. That's equilibrium, right? That's balance, not at all. In fact, that may be the worst state of all. That is a state of confusion. That is, when they are all equal, it is your mind, it is your body, and it is your soul at war, in competition, jockeying for position, uh, fighting for supremacy. This is me in confusion. Think about it another way. When you're driving down the highway, it is a very good thing, you know, that 10 and 2 or whatever they're teaching in driver's ed these days, to have your hands on the steering wheel. That's a good thing when you're barreling down the interstate. What is perhaps not a good thing would be three sets of hands, three different people with a hand on the wheel, all pulling in different directions at the same time. Not a good idea. Don't try that at home but not a good idea. Paul would have named that, you know, the destiny being destruction. That is leading to a major, major accident. All three driving with the same power, pulling in different directions. Likewise, we were never intended to be steered equally by our body, by our mind, 
and by our souls. 2 Timothy 3 gives us that image in that passage we read. It is confusion. It is inner conflict. So here's what happens. If all are equally strong, here's what happens to my spirit. Here's what happens to that soul dimension in my life. 2 Timothy 3, verse 5. They will act, and I would circle that word. They will act religious, but they will reject the power that could make them godly. Stay away from people like that. So when all three are equal, when I'm being pulled in these different directions, it is enough for me to look spiritual. It is enough for me to put a facade on, show up at church on Sunday morning, and everybody thinks I'm a good, church-going, spiritual guy. That satisfies me, Paul says. But I miss out on the word there, power, the dunamis. I miss out on the power of actually living by faith in God because I've become satisfied with something less. I've, been sati- I've become satisfied with impressing the folks around me. That's what happens to the soul. What happens to the mind when all three are at war, are jockeying for power? What happens when they're all leading equally? Paul says, and this phrase is so telling, 2 Timothy 3, 7, he says, they are always learning, but never able to acknowledge the truth. Always learning. More data. More information. More tips but never able to learn the truth or acknowledge it, say yes to the truth. That's what acknowledge means, right? They learn, but they never seem to know. Intellectually, they are seeking, but they never seem to find. They may be brilliant, off the charts in terms of IQ, their intellectual capacity and everything, but Paul says when the truth is right in front of them, They struggle to acknowledge it. And finally, the body. When all three parts of me are equally strong and they're pulling on that rope in different directions, folks become, 2 Timothy 3, 6, loaded down with sins and swayed by all kinds of evil desires. So, no, balance does not come when my three dimensions, when the three parts of me, body, soul, and mind, are equally strong. Balance comes when the soul has preeminence. In the New Testament, this is called being in Christ. Over 90 times in the New Testament, this kind of lifestyle is the person who is in Christ. Christ. Very important idea because this idea puts everything else in balance in my life. Simply put, you were designed to be body and soul in Christ. And hopefully one of the myths that we've been dispelling the last few weeks is Jesus only cares about your soul. No, Jesus cares about your body and soul. He cares about you. He wants you, all of you, all dimensions of you 
under his lordship. Not selfishly, but he knows that's how you were made to work. That's how God engineered you and every person to thrive. And when those dimensions are working well, I am in Christ. The soul is the predominant force. All right. Now, I doubt that I would get much of an argument, whether you're a Christian or a non-Christian, much of an argument with saying, Jesus Christ, perhaps the most spiritual person to ever live. And I doubt if I would get much of an argument, I mean, in all of history. And I doubt if I'd get much of an argument if I said, Jesus Christ, perhaps the most influential human being to ever walk this earth. That's Jesus. Now, here's what's interesting, among other things about Jesus. But one of the things that's interesting with regard to our topic is how the Bible describes Jesus as growing in each of these spheres. Jesus did not despise the body. All the body is bad. He grew in all the spheres. And you may remember this passage uh, from Bible school way back when in Luke chapter 2, verse 52. The Bible tells us that Jesus kept increasing in wisdom, mind, in stature, body, and in favor with God, soul, and man. And being, your relationship with people is really all three of those go into that, right? Uh, body, soul, and mind. So it's all there. It's all there in Jesus, perfectly balanced as he grows in all of those areas. Like I said, being spiritual didn't mean Jesus fought against the body, depriving the body, despising the body. In the New Testament, in the Gospels, you will find Jesus fasting. You will find Jesus feasting. It was a life in balance. And he shares the secret. Well, it's not supposed to be a secret. Probably that's not the right way to put it. He shares the key with his disciples, with us. When he says in Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, Seek first his kingdom. Read this with me. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you as well. The soul first. God's agenda first. Identity in Christ first. God will help manage the other things in your life. He will bring the increase, the abundance, the thriving in all the other things. That is what Jesus taught. So balance. This is on your outline this morning. Ultimately, we were made to thrive. We were made to experience abundance in life when we strive to live, quote-unquote, in Christ. In Christ. When the Lord comes first, everything else comes together. Because Jesus came to redeem you body and soul. Now, 
In case this all seems very theoretical, very conceptual today, uh, we're going to put a little bit of meat on these bones. And I promise this outline is going to go really quick. So if you're filling out your outline, be ready to write. We're, not, we're just going to share a watchword with each area concerning our bodies. What does it do to my body, to, to the physical side when I am in Christ? All right? Uh, one thing. How about food? How about food? We talked about that a little bit last week. When it comes to what I eat, the watchword is enough. When I'm in Christ, it's enough. There's a time for feasting. There's a time for fasting. Good nutrition. Knowing when to say when. At least that's what Proverbs 23 says. Don't drink too much wine. Don't eat too much food. That's good advice right there. How about exercise? Don't talk about that much at church. Probably need to talk about it more. Temple of the Holy Spirit is the body when it comes to exercise. When it comes to my health, the watchword is fitness. You might put nutrition there as well. Fitness. We're not talking about you getting ripped necessarily, okay? We're talking about you doing what you need to do to take care of this trust God has given you, your body. Okay? Fitness. Uh, Paul, now, I'll be honest here. Paul is talking about spirituality here. But as he does this in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, Paul very clearly affirms the goodness of exercise, of training. Because that's, where he re- he, that's what he goes from in his argument. He says, I discipline my body like an athlete, training it to do what it should. The body needs discipline. The body needs training. It needs to be fit. Next, sleep. <laughs> sleep. Read this week that over 30% of Texans are sleep-deprived. That was on a, on a website, 24-7 Wall Street. 30% of Texans sleep-deprived. Um, it's interesting. When it comes to rest, the, the watchword is Sabbath. Okay? Sabbath. It is finding that rhythm that God created in us from Genesis chapter 1. He works six days, and he rests, and he builds that rhythm into us as well. We need that cycle of work and rest. We need that balance. Um, Exodus 20, you have six days each week to do your ordinary work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath day of rest dedicated to the Lord your God. Unfortunately, we have come to glorify in some circles, in some corners in our culture, work so much that it's like a badge of honor if you don't have rest. Brag about how, how you're burning the candle at both ends. Brag about how you haven't had a day off in months. That's nothing to brag about. To take care of your body, you need rest. Again, just a watchword. We could say a lot more, but you can study that on your own. We'll talk about that a little more in the weeks to come. Finally, dress. I want to talk about dress a little bit. Um, That has to do with my body, obviously. When it comes to my clothing, the watchword is modesty. Appropriate attire. Modesty. And I think there was an issue in that church. This goes for men and women, by the way. You've got to remember, we're kind of reading other people's mail. Paul is writing to Timothy in Ephesus. 
And there must have been an issue with some of the ladies there in the church. Paul writes, women should adorn themselves in respectful apparel with modesty and self-control. It's not, dre- it's not wearing a burlap sack, okay? You can look good, all right, ladies? You can be attractive, but modesty, self-control. When I'm in Christ, I find balance because I've made the choice to seek Him first and let Him put the other things in order. I read something the other day I found really interesting. It was a piece about funambulists, tightrope walkers, funambulists. Now, I am probably more afraid of heights than I am afraid of about anything. I don't like snakes either, but heights, snakes, I'd say number 1A, 1B up in my power ranking of fears. And that's probably why I've always been fascinating with, tight, with the you know, Man on Wire movie, the documentary, stuff like that. I am fascinated with it because I've always thought, wow, how do they keep their balance? There's no way I could do that. And I would be mortified, right, of falling. Dan Thurman, who is a funambulist and a business leader, um, challenges my assumption and probably a lot of our assumptions because he says that tightrope walkers are never actually in balance. All right, He says they are constantly striving to find perfect b- balance. They are constantly making adjustments to those little imbalances. And he said to the naked eye, the spectator can't even see it. Right? Um, He writes this, They are perpetually off balance, making adjustments that bring them through a point of balance only to readjust on the other side. Most of these movements, he writes, are so subtle that they are imperceptible to the audience. So what gives? How do they do it? How do they keep from falling? Um, He wrote that when a new student begins training, they inevitably make the same mistake. As soon as they get on the wire or the rope, they look down. They want to make sure their feet are square. They look down at that cable or that rope, and then they fall. That's what happens. The pros, he writes, come at it quite differently. They never look down. They don't look at the balance pole. They don't look at the cable. He says, rather, they keep their head up and they keep their focus on the target, on the goal, on that far away platform. That is how they keep their balance. Now, here's the point for us. That peace, that equilibrium, that harmony in life begins when we stop looking down and we start looking up. It begins when we proclaim and live with Jesus as Lord, when we live in Christ. He, for me, becomes author and perfecter of my faith. Jesus is the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end of who I am. And when I begin to wobble a little bit, When I get a little bit shaky, when the imbalances of life appear, and they do, if my eyes are on Christ, 
those things will not be so disruptive. Eyes on Christ. That is how you keep moving forward. Making those adjustments, focusing on Jesus. So what about you as we finish out this morning? Just things for you to think about. Did his kingdom and his righteousness come first for you? If not, I would suggest that may explain some of the imbalances and the chaos or the compromise or the confusion that you're struggling with. And maybe you need to make a change today. Maybe you need to make a balance adjustment today, getting your eyes back on the Lord, rededicating yourself to the Lord. Or maybe it begins with stepping out in faith. Jesus died for your redemption, body and soul. And you were made to live in Christ. Baptism celebrates that as you are immersed into Jesus. And you begin to walk by faith in that new identity you have as a citizen of heaven, as a child of God. Also this morning, as we're going to sing here in just a moment, you're invited to pray with somebody. You come and pray with me or one of our shepherds. We're here to, to come before the throne of God on your behalf. We'd invite you to do that as well. However you need to respond, do that as we stand together and worship.